0: Good morning, listeners. Welcome to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. I'm so happy you're with us this morning. We have a great show planned for you. I was thinking about where we are in 2018. I cannot believe that Hanukkah started on December 2nd, and we're inching closer and closer to Christmas. That's the holiday you celebrate. And I've been doing a lot of thinking about what the holidays mean. And this week I found myself lost in sort of a reverie of how Christmas used to be when I was a child. I don't know if any of you out there ever go through that exercise, but I'm thinking back to my childhood and how I used to get all the very best, best presents, and my relatives traveled miles to be with my parents and me during the holidays. It was so fun, and I remember Christmas Eve with my mom's delicious dinner and then waiting for Santa to come so we could open the gifts he brought us. And as I share this with you, I can just feel the new teddy bears and dolls I used to take to bed with me on Christmas night. If you go back in your own past with me, do you remember that kind of thing? Christmas traditions changed for me as I grew, and I only noticed it looking back. When I was little, I was so content being with my family and looking at the Christmas lights, and and then as I got older, that wasn't so much fun. I was in high school, and I was much more interested in boyfriends and having my friends and their parents over to my house. And I was really lucky because my parents were so gracious. They had an open-door policy, and they often found themselves entertaining my friends' parents and my friends' friends, many of whom they hardly knew. Um, It was such fun, and I retain such happy memories of this time in my life. And then, towards the completion of college, I looked forward to including my fiancé and our Christmas traditions, and he sort of, he was from Massachusetts, so he came out to California and shared my family's traditions. And then we got married, and we began to have kids, and we created our own holiday stuff that went on, and our parents adjusted to the changes we made. And then the relatives came to share Christmas with my kids at my house. And I cooked the holiday meals, while my mom enjoyed conversation with her sisters in the living room. And watching my children's Christmas delight reminded the adults of their own Christmases past. And then I come back to the present. And my life has just changed and evolved so much. All those relatives are gone, and I miss them. And over the years, one by one, left our family and went to some heavenly place, and there were divorces, and adult children moved away and started their own holiday traditions, and know I had a losses and with each one of those, I've had to recreate Christmas, which is the holiday I celebrate. And like my relatives before me, I remember all those happy holidays and being Santa and creating happy memories for my three kids. But today... Christmas for me is a mixture of grief and loss and happy memories. It's also a time to be happy in the present, and I've had to learn about staying in the present. When I went to one particularly grief-filled Christmas, I found that I'd been living in the past all day and wasting the entire day in memories and sadness for all those Christmases that I'd experienced. And for myself, I just created a miserable day, and I also created a miserable day for the people around me. And I'm not saying that I'm in charge of everybody's happiness, but I think even in our own grief, we can somehow relate to others around us and create at least a peaceful day. So I've come to view Christmas and Hanukkah and every other type of of end-of-the-year celebration as an evolution. I've learned that we can hold memories of holidays past while at the same time we can really be in the present and cherish it. Remember, what happens on this holiday will create the reminiscences for people that you're raising, for your little kids. And they will become the repertoire of other people's holiday memories. Well, we provide positive and negative memories for our loved ones. Because remember, we hold the power to provide others, you know, our life a holiday foundation for how we view the various year-end celebrations and traditions. And as a final thought, I remember one of the most touching holiday traditions I was invited to join and it was the lighting of the menorah. And I'm not Jewish and the singing and the joy in this celebration provided me with awareness that we can honor our own practice traditions and we can in- incorporate each ones that make our holidays even richer as well. We can kind of become very eclectic. What we choose to do is up to that, us. So listeners, with that in mind, I would like to introduce you to today's guest, Judy Hampshire. Judy holds a master's degree in clinical psychology with a specialization in grief therapy and currently she is a psychotherapist at one of the nation's largest HMOs. Judy has worked as a bereavement therapist and program director in hospice care as well as the clinical director at a crisis center hotline that was the forefront of national research participation in suicidal behaviors and interventions. Wow, I could hardly get that out. Um, In her work, Judy has led trainings in grief and loss as well as suicide risk assessment and intervention to a wide array of audiences including law enforcement, addiction counselors, chaplains, therapists, and doctors. She was the founding instructor for a certificate training program in death, dying, and grief studies. Judy's primary clinical framework is called Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, and I can't wait to hear about that, and not many of us are familiar with this and I know she's going to share it with us. Judy, welcome to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. We are honored to have you. Would you thank tell you, our Anne. listeners... Thank you, Yes, I'm so thrilled to have you on. Would you tell our listeners a little bit about what influenced
1: you to become a therapist? I'd be glad to, Ann. Again, thank you so much for the opportunity for me to be here with you and your listeners. Since I was young, I've always been drawn to people's stories, the narratives that frame their experiences. And my dad always told me that it was you know, not enough to be a warm body in the world. And he encouraged us to have activism and engagement to make lives in the world a better place. That being said, I didn't grow up in an environment that was emotionally particularly nurturing. And when I encountered losses, I had no real space to process or understand grief for myself. And that sense of feeling adrift led to an active search to understand myself and my experiences, and in turn to help others dealing with death, dying and grief in its many forms, and suffering in human life in general. Well, you have extensive
0: experience in so many areas. I'm sort of overwhelmed by your vita, by your biography, Um, and one of them is in the area of grief and loss, and to our listeners, this might be an odd topic to discuss during the holidays when everyone is theoretically supposed to be so happy and joyous and free and bright. But in my experiences, I guess in yours, it's the time of year that can be really, really sad. Could
1: you tell us a little bit about grief and loss? Sure. Grief is the experience human beings go through when they've sustained a loss. What people don't realize sometimes is that grief is a healthy response to loss. If we love, we will grieve. The only way to avoid grief is to never love or feel an attachment, which for humans is a pretty unrealistic possibility. Losses can include people we know or care about, roles we identify with like being a spouse or partner, mother or father, daughter or son. Losses can include belongings, dreams or expectations that don't come to fruition. Many things could occur, incur the experience of loss and thus in turn grieving. It's notable, grief reactions have been observed in other species as well, including elephants and monkeys. Now, loss itself is by the meaning prescribed by the individual who sustains that loss. For instance, what that lost relationship meant, who that person was in our life, what that home or other belonging we might have lost, or unachieved goal meant about us in our life, is how we individually define meaning. In turn, that meaning determines how a person perceives the impact and their experience of that loss. Grief is more a multidimensional process. It includes feelings, feelings such as sadness, anger, guilt, anxiety, loneliness, helplessness, shock, yearning, pining, numbness, and even relief or relief. Grief also includes physical sensations. We might feel Excessive fatigue, a hollowness in our stomach, tightness in the chest, tightness in our throat, an oversensitivity to noises or to interacting with others, a sense of kind of depersonalization, like we're not really present, feeling short of breath or having little to no energy. Grief is also a psychological or cognitive experience where we feel a sense of disbelief and inability to concentrate. We feel distracted or preoccupied and confused. And behaviorally, we might find we can't sleep well or we sleep too much. We have difficulty eating or we eat too much. We're distracted or absent-minded. We find ourselves withdrawing socially, avoiding reminders of the loss or the deceased, or being unable to focus on anything other than the loss. searching out, restless, crying easily and frequently, treasuring objects related to the loss or the deceased, or having a great deal of difficulty being around objects or reminders. Well,
0: you just described some, I've gone through that in the past, and um, you made it quite clear in your description. Um, there's a process to grief and bereavement, and would you explain that
1: to our listeners? Because I don't know that many of us know what that is. I sure can. There are many ways writers and researchers have characterized the grieving process. One most notable who actually wrote and studied the dying process and whose work was then adapted to grieving was Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Interestingly, even at the end of her life, she was clear that the dying process and grieving did not fit a linear set of defined steps or stages, which actually countered some of her own earlier work. This is really important. We don't proceed through grieving in a linear fashion, such as denial, bargaining, then anger, on through to some sort of closure. Furthermore, there's no timetable for grief, nor a single right way to grieve. In fact, in most ways, grief is a lifelong process, moving from a stabbing pain and preoccupation to, over time, a dull ache or bittersweet feeling, with periods of upsurging emotions and distress. Most people find their lives revive and move forward with vitality through this process. And I hope for those listening who may feel pressure that they should be over it by now, I hope this gives them some thought and validates their experiences. If I could, I'd like to take just a moment, I know we're coming up on a break, uh, Mm -hmm. to talk about the process of mourning. Would you like me to wait till after the break?
0: I would, because I'm so glad you're talking about this, Judy, I know that many of us in this holiday are going through grief and bereavement and loss, and we are going to come up on a break, so I'm going to ask us to hold this conversation, and we will be right back, listeners. Okay.
2: Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's
1: Around Town Movers. Call- Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on The Doctor's Lounge and hear The Doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The disease
3: of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.atlantahealingcenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the Americas Broadcast Network.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, listeners. We are with
0: Judy Hampshire this morning or so. Grateful to have her. She's talking about grief, loss, and bereavement in general and how it affects the holidays for many of us. So, Judy, before the break, we were talking about the process of grief and bereavement and loss, and you were going to give us an example.
1: Yeah, what I was going to share with you is actually kind of in brief, William Warden, who is a highly regarded researcher and clinician in the field of grief, was very effective in describing the process of mourning And he describes four tasks to the grieving process that I think can be really helpful in people understanding that process, which is a very active, ongoing process. And the first task that he identifies is to accept the reality of the loss. And this takes time because it involves not only an intellectual acceptance of the loss, but also an emotional one. And early on in our grieving, there's a a mix of belief and disbelief that go back and forth as we grapple with the task of accepting the reality of the loss. The next task he talks about is to work through the pain of grief. And my experience has been that both people and professionals often try to short-circuit this task. Our society is so uncomfortable with the pain and intensity of grief and often give subtle and unfortunately not so subtle messages and cues to try to curtail, curtail our feelings about grief. Comments like, you're young, he wouldn't want you to feel this way. Life is for the living. You can have another child. Pious platitudes are other messages that suggest that grief is somehow unhealthy, morbid, or demoralizing. The third task is to adjust to an environment in which the deceased is missing. And there are three areas of adjustment that go on in this process. There's the external adjustments, how the death or loss affects our everyday functioning in the world. There's internal adjustments, how the death affects one's sense of self and identity. And there are spiritual or psychological adjustments, how the death or loss affects our beliefs, our values, and our assumptions about a world that at one time we thought was benevolent or made sense. And finally, the fourth task is to emotionally relocate the deceased or lost and move on with life. This is important because it's not about closure or the ending of grief, but about continuing bonds with the recognition that the physical presence is gone, retaining a connection, integrating the loss in a way that allows the individual to still go on with their life.
0: I think that is so important for us to know, and I think Um, Tell me if you don't agree we could apply this not only to death but to, like, divorce or kids moving away. What do you think?
1: To some extent, definitely. I mean, those are certainly some distinct losses, but they have some common threads as well.
0: Yes. So
1: I was thinking about this,
0: too, and it just appears to me that grief, seems more prevalent during the holidays. Why do you think that might be?
1: Uh, Interesting question. Actually, I feel that grief isn't so much more prevalent during the holidays as more pronounced, as the culture and the traditions and social and family engagement often promote an attitude and an expectation of joy, cheer, and celebration. And these expectations are in direct contrast with the reality of the grief experience. For instance, Look at a Hallmark commercial, warm, big, cheery homes with happy relatives reuniting and laughing together, plentiful food and gifts. We're inundated with this false reality that for those in grief, it's a cold slap in the face if they're missing a family such as adult children living far away, deceased loved ones, or even homes and belongings that are lost such as those folks whose homes and communities were devastated in the recent California fires or the hurricanes in the last few months in the U.S. Images such as those promoted in commercials also defy the reality in many lives where there are estrangements, losses, or the absence of the kind of wealth and privilege suggested in those advertisements.
0: Well, I couldn't relate to that more because I can think of every holiday card I ever pick up and it's like, Happy Christmas, and... And I know there have been times in my life when it just wasn't so happy and I'd get these cards and it sort of contradicted and in a way disrespected how I was feeling. And then I'd feel sort of guilty that maybe I should sign up to get over myself and
1: not wallow in
0: what I was grieving in.
1: Yeah, it can feel like a very personal attack even though the intent wasn't that. Exactly. So
0: I think maybe we could say to people who are all happy at Christmas and good for all of us who are to be sensitive about who, what kinds of cards, what we're saying to people um, and keeping them in their context instead of having my happiness um, sort of maybe make them feel guilty that they're not feeling so joyous and free during the holiday time. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, well, the, Judy, well, well, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, what would you say to listeners who are experiencing losses, such as divorce, that's a big one, and death of uh, loved ones and one. ones, and separation from adult children during the holidays?
1: You know, in, in many ways, as I was saying earlier, these losses are distinctly different. For instance, in a divorce, which some pair with death-related bereavement, there are actually core differences, including the reality that no one physically died, and that at least one partner chose to end the relationship, though I want to honor certainly a relationship identity and other changes impact the divorcing pair and can have a feeling much like a death. Same, too, with adult children. This life phase, while potentially very painful, is distinctly different from death-related loss. So as I share some coping skills later, I want to keep in mind that some of these transcend what type of loss and some may not. But what I can say is individuals going through a divorce benefit from strong self-care, creating or trying new traditions separate from those shared with their former partner, and keeping in mind ways to celebrate or share in the holidays with consideration for children that might be impacted. Being able to note that the holidays will have awful moments rather than declaring the holidays will be awful can often, even semantically, Provide flexibility to experience times that may be pleasant, peaceful, rather than purely awful.
0: Well, I think those are important points that you just made because I know people who are going through a divorce and they are just miserable, but they're also yeah. bitter. And they also yes. want to get back at their um, ex-partner or spouse. Mm-hmm. And so to move out of that into a different kind of way of being in the holiday, I think is really important, while, while acknowledging how you are feeling. And I was wondering, with that in mind, do you have any practical suggestions about coping skills that would be helpful to those of us who are going through the holiday feeling lost and alone or bitter, due to grief or unhappy childhood memories or the loss of a treasured relationship?
1: First, I think it's important that we acknowledge that we will grieve and that grief will be our companion. Trying to avoid it, deny it, minimize it is very problematic and and defies the reality that grief is a normal, healthy response to loss. I do encourage that people make a plan for the holidays. Remember, nothing is written in stone. You can do things differently next year if this year you try some things and they don't work out as well. What do, you, what do you anticipate will be the rough waters and what can you do to help yourself through them? What skills and strengths can you bring from the past to help you with challenges now? And I have quite a long list here. I'll try to go through quickly, but if you need to stop me in the middle for a break, let me know.
0: Oh, First no, I suggest- just want you to take your time because the listeners <laughs> are going to probably want to take notes on this. So go First ahead. Of now. All- if
1: we need a break, I'll interrupt. Okay. First of all, um. Should you change the location, time, or menu of traditional meals? Should you eliminate them altogether? Doing it in a new way can lighten the heaviness of memories. You could even use disposable plates or try a potluck or a prepared meal. Make an escape plan for social activities. If you feel overwhelmed, let your host or guests know you might need a timeout or need to leave. However, it is better to try to go for at least a short while rather than avoid social activities completely. Remember, even a few minutes of gentle joy and connectedness with others can be sustaining. The potential for support could be taken away by not having some participation. And if you you do go and you have some fun, you may feel some guilt. I encourage you to try to relax and trust that having fun does not mean you don't love or miss your loved one. If you attend religious services, Do you want to go to a different service time? Do you want to go to a different service? I encourage you to tend to your spirit, whether that be by prayer, meditation, reflection. Will you decorate differently or not at all? You could have someone else do the decorating if some decoration might bring you pleasure or support the children in the home. What holiday traditions are most important to you at this time and are there holiday jobs you can delegate? Rely on others. Share your feelings. Ask for help. Be with people you want to be with. Family may or may not be understanding. If they're processing the same loss, they may feel differently or be in a different emotional place. Again, there's no wrong way to grieve. The problem is when we try not to grieve or constrict our definition of what is appropriate grief. Take good care of yourself during the holidays. Pace yourself. Exercise, rest, eat healthfully, be careful with caffeine and alcohol. Say no if demands become overwhelming, because you will tire easily. I just I have a few other brilliant, brilliant thoughts. Go ahead. Well, if you want, or after the break, I'll talk a little bit about shopping and greeting cards because you mentioned greeting cards earlier that I think is important to acknowledge.
0: Yeah, I do too. And I think that considering new ways to enter the holidays when you are experiencing a grief or, or loss is really important. We have to sort of recreate it for ourselves.
1: And yeah, and that, I think we're going to
0: have to and thinking a, ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With that, we're going to have to take another break. And listeners, we will be right back with Judy Hampshire.
4: Obamacare is failing, but in order
1: to get back on the right track with health policy, people need to be informed. Obamacarewatch.org is your resource to understand what's happening with this law and what you can do to stay active, stay informed, and make positive change happen. Obamacarewatch.org. Visit us now.
3: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
0: Welcome back, listeners. We are here with Judy Hampshire, who holds a master's degree and is uh, really experienced in the topic of grief and loss. And We're talking about that and the holidays and how that fits in. So, Judy, before the break, you were talking about some coping skills, for folks who are experiencing grief and loss during the holidays, such as divorce or death or adult kids moving away. And you had a few more tips for us.
1: Yeah, some more practical tips that people are sometimes surprised at what kind of throws them. And then the feeling of expectation at the holidays when they're really feeling compromised to try and do everything they usually do. One of them is shopping. And when you're grieving and struggling with lots of changes, make your shopping easier. Simplify your list. Maybe choose gift cards or do some online shopping to avoid the hubbub and the quote-unquote cheer of stores. You can even have stores gift wrap for you. If you do go shopping, take a friend with you and, and take lots of breaks. Shop early. And be prepared that between Hallmark commercials and holiday music, you may find many triggers that set off tears. This is so normal. And I also want to address, because we touched on earlier, greeting cards. First of all, it's okay not to send cards. However, I've also found that a lot of people, particularly after bereavement or a divorce, find that a lot of their friends and family, maybe across the country or elsewhere, aren't aware of their loss. So sometimes people find it helpful to send their cards early with a prepared standard letter that they can inform folks of the news and asking them for what they need. This helps reduce the shock that some people experience when they get a a card or a letter that's addressed to them and a loved one who's deceased or who has left the relationships. And finally, practice how to answer tough questions. If someone says to you, how are you doing, it's perfectly fine to say, yeah, sometimes okay, sometimes not so good. Honest responses help remind people that you're in a different place this year. I love that because I
0: often say to my patients, how are you? And they say, oh, I'm fine. And I know they're not fine. And it's sort of a blow-off answer. So to give a true response and details aren't necessary, I think uh, is really good self-care. Yeah, i often say after that,
1: I often, after they say I'm fine, I'll say, okay, now how are you really doing?
0: (laughs) I love that. And do they tell you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well you're a therapist, that's why they <laughs> For people for people who aren't therapists and you get the I'm fine I have found that it's really great when I have a friend say, How are you, Anne? and I say, Oh, I'm good, I'm fine and they stop and they say, No, I really wanna know how you're doing. Tell me about yeah. what's going on. That feels yeah. so caring and validated and we we're in such a hurry during the holidays and actually in everyday life, holidays or not, that we often miss those cues about sitting down and becoming more um, relational
1: with our friends yeah. and family. Absolutely, so, yeah, many, we're in a fast-paced environment, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I've also been thinking about many people grieving about those good old days. I know I've done that, and so... I want to define that a little more. By that, I mean people often wish for their adult kids to have moved away, to return home. Or if they have happy holiday memories, they frequently replay those recollections and then they sit by themselves or they sit with a spouse and they call it the empty nest syndrome. And they wish the happy holiday memories could return to the present. Could you offer any insight about this?
1: You know, I think it's natural and human to want to recall and hold on to memories of the past. You know, finding space to share those memories can actually draw generations together and help elders in particular to offer kind of a perspective to the present from the past. I think the real challenge that I've discovered is that the challenge is holding so tightly to those memories with a kind of a narrative of comparison. It was so much better then. um, It was better in the past. or getting lost in those memories that it deprives us of being in the present to the here and now, not only depriving us of really enjoying the people around us, but of them enjoying us.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I just flashed back on my grandmother, who was always included in our family, everything, But there were some times when she wouldn't want to come down. She lived in Sacramento, California, and she'd say, no, I'm going to be here by myself. And I'd call her and I'd say, what, what are you doing, Nana? That was what we called her. And she'd say, oh, I'm missing you. And she just didn't feel like she could make the effort to come down. But she was like lost in memories of the past until I made the phone call and told mm-hmm. her what we were doing and brought her in to the present and gave some joy to her via the phone. I think it's so important. And today, we can Skype people. So I would say if we have somebody elderly and they do have a computer, boy, set that up for them and teach them. It may be a little frustrating because many older folks aren't really technologically brilliant or even adequate. I'm kind of barely there. But um, it, it, it brightens people's lives and it makes them feel more included. And I'm thinking about the people dressed up as Santa Claus. And I've been out shopping, and boy, they're everywhere. And they ring bells outside of department stores. And these guys wish everyone a Merry Christmas. And then we take our kids to visit Santa so they can tell him what they want for Christmas. And for some of us, as we've been talking about, the holidays aren't so merry. And please give us some ideas about how to create. What do I call it? Let's see. Uh, I'll call it emotional self-care. How can we create a bit of
1: kind self-care to help ourselves get through the holidays? Yeah, I I hear you. I think that the important thing is we can't force ourselves to forget about our pain and loss. And I actually encourage people that part of that self-care is really to acknowledge your loved one. First, acknowledge that you have this loss and the feelings you have about the loss. Make room for your emotions. I mean, they're there and will make themselves known whether you want to or not. So being willing to make some space and take some time to express them every day. Some people find things like journals can be really helpful in this, or even setting a timer and sitting with your feelings every day at a certain time to just kind of acknowledge and honor it. Remember your loved one in other ways. You could light a candle in their memory or hang a special ornament. You could buy a gift for your loved one and give it to someone else or donate it in memory of your loved one to a charity they valued. Some people will use a stocking, maybe the stocking of their loved one, and write notes to place in the stocking. You could set a a place at the table with your loved one's pitcher or have candles by the pitcher or their favorite flowers. You could prepare and share one of your loved one's favorite meals or dishes. I encourage sharing memories together. I know it can be sad, but it can also lead to laughter and shared experiences. So often it takes the bereaved to open the door and let people know they don't need to walk on eggshells. Some people create a memory book, and since oftentimes during the holidays family and friends get together, invite folks to write a favorite story about your loved one that you can put into a memory book. Remember, too, and this is so important, that the anticipation of a holiday or another significant date, you know, birthday, anniversary, may be much worse than the actual day. Be aware of your expectations of yourself and others, and try to make expectations realistic. And, of course, be hopeful. The pain and the stress of holidays are very real, even when you're not actually grieving a current loss. Still, with trial and error, things will get better. In time, we'll add new traditions and new memories to accommodate our changed situation, and our loved ones will continue to echo in the stories we share.
0: Well, I just love those ideas, and I hope people incorporate them into their holidays if they are having some sadness uh, in in their day. And remember, the holiday day that you celebrate, whatever it is, whether it's um, the time of Hanukkah or Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, it's just a day. But I love it how you invite people to change it up to... um, in, again, incorporate new thoughts and not just sit there with their feelings of grief and loss uh, ruling the day. Give it a time. Give it today for 20 minutes. I am going to think about some something, and then I'm going to move on. I love that. So, also during the holidays, I know that this is a topic that's very difficult to discuss at any time of year, but at the holidays, it's especially challenging. And that is the subject of suicide. And I know that hopelessness is a major component of suicidality. Would you explain the
1: idea of hopelessness to our listeners? Hopelessness is the idea that nothing will ever get better. And often in individuals who experience thoughts of suicide, they feel hopeless. And they also feel helpless. Helpless is the idea that there's nothing they can do to make things better. It's a complete loss of self-efficacy. Combined with other factors, feeling hopeless and helpless are pretty big concerns when considering someone's risk for suicidal behaviors.
0: Well, could you tell us a little bit about suicidal behavior? Yeah.
1: For all of us, whether we're professionals in the field or not, I think it's really important to understand that sometimes when people are struggling with loss or losses, which is complicated by many factors, they might have thoughts of killing themselves. Suicide is a complex behavior. It's not driven by a single event or upset, but is a culmination of experiences, beliefs, losses, combined with personality and other risk factors. What is important is for loved ones, if you're concerned, to address the topic directly lovingly, and honestly. Talking about suicide, contrary to myth, won't plant the thought. Instead, the moment you open open up a sincere discussion about thoughts of suicide, you begin to decrease the pain and the loneliness that fuels those thoughts.
0: Well, as past director of a crisis hotline, I know you're very knowledgeable and experienced in the area of interacting with people who are thinking about suiciding What should people do if they are concerned that someone in their lives is thinking about killing themselves?
1: I encourage them to be direct. Ask if they're thinking about killing themselves. Talk openly and matter-of-fact. And use the word suicide. Using words like, are you thinking of hurting or harming yourself, is actually not the same question. Be willing to listen. Allow the expression of feelings and accept their feelings. Do your best to be nonjudgmental. Don't debate whether suicide is right or wrong or whether their feelings are good or bad. And try not to lecture on the value of life and impose your own views. Get involved. Become available. Show interest and support. Try not to act shocked because this will put a distance between you and your loved one. Of course, don't be sworn to secrecy. And you never want to promise someone I won't tell anyone else because part of keeping them safe will likely involve involving other people. Offer hope that, all, that alternatives are available, but not glib reassurance. Offer to help find those alternatives and then follow through with help in connecting your loved one. And take action to keep them safe, removing guns and weapons and any other pills and, that might be used to kill themselves. You can reach out and get help from people and agencies specializing in crisis intervention and suicide prevention. I always recommend one first place to start is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. 24-7 you can get support whether you are having thoughts of suicide or you're worried that someone you care about is. And if you are reaching out and offering to help someone, follow through on your help and concern and stay connected till they are getting help.
0: With that in mind, we are going to take another break, and we will be coming right back with Judy Hampshire.
4: or your loved one, can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
3: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
0: Welcome back, listeners. We are here with Judy Hampshire discussing suicide. What a topic for the holidays when everybody's supposed to be happy, but I work in the emergency department, and I know Judy has, and boy, suicide is alive and well during the holidays. So, Judy, what are the warning signs which we should be looking for or listening for if people have concerns that someone in their lives is thinking about
1: suicide? I think first and foremost is if you have a loved one or a friend who's talking about wanting to die or to kill themselves. If they've had a history of prior attempts or an exposure to a death by suicide, those are also areas of concern if they also seem to be more depressed and discouraged. If they're looking for ways to kill themselves, like searching online or or buying a weapon, talking about feeling hopeless, as we've mentioned earlier, or having no reason to live, talking about feeling trapped or in unbearable pain, talking about feeling that they're a burden to others, an increased use of alcohol or drugs, acting anxious or agitated, maybe behaving more recu- recklessly. If you find they're sleeping too little or too much, and I've actually, in the research that's been done, sleep loss is a particular concern, and any of those that have pulled an all-nighter for studying or, or mm. a new baby in the house know how, uh, how compromised we can feel when we have sleep deprivation going on withdrawing or isolating themselves and stating they feel unbearably alone. Extreme mood swings and giving away prized possessions or having a lack of a future orientation or describing future plans that sound hollow or vague. These would be some of the warning signs, and certainly going to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline website, you can read about these and others in ways that you can intervene because there is so much we can do to assist those who are experiencing the sorrow and despair that can lead to suicidal thoughts and behaviors.
0: And I think most of us don't have a clue, and we just get scared and we don't know what to do and we freeze. So do you yeah. have any thoughts about how those of us who are suffering through the holidays can communicate that to their family and
1: friends? Yeah, I think we need to be really sensitive to who, which family and friends are supportive allies. Not all family and friends will be those you, you know, open up to. That doesn't mean you discard the others. Notably, you know, we all have family and friends that serve different roles. For instance, I can think of some friends I might not unleash my deep feelings around, but they're great for fun events: going to the movie, going for a run, doing something kind of lighthearted entertainment. We all need those distractions, you know, the breaks from that emotional load of loss and grief.
2: And, uh, so let y- those and you know, said, you trust, know that. And you said that I could jump okay. in once in a while, so I'm jumping in. Oh. I- I want to bring up something uh, real quickly, and and I'm sure you all are well aware of this, but uh, uh, as a vet, the Veterans Administration has a wonderful hotline for veterans that are contemplating suicide. And I didn't know if you all, I'm sure you all are aware of that, but uh, if someone's listening that is a vet and or a family member is contemplating suicide or anything like that, uh, they can call the Veterans Administration, uh, VA, and uh, they have a, again, it's just strictly for veterans, folks that have served, and uh, it's everything from working with uh, PTSD or, or, like you had said, Judy, the uh, crisis of the season or whatever it happens to be. But um, I, just, well, David, I just wanted I to throw that in. That.
1: I actually used to be one of the crisis centers that served the veterans crisis line. And the best way to access that is actually through the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. When you call 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255, they'll give you a prompt that if, you want to, if you're a veteran and you want to talk to the VA crisis line, you then press 1, and it will it route you directly to the veteran's crisis line. Thank you. And you're absolutely so
0: right. Our, so for our listeners and who might be wondering, well, who is David? David um, runs the radio station. So I have given him permission to jump in every now and then, and it's usually unexpected and it's always welcome. So thank you, David. That was a really, really important point. And Judy, I'm going to redirect you to the suffering through the holidays and
1: what you were saying. Well, I think it's important to let those you trust know that this time is hard and ask for their support. Some people choose to be alone on a significant holiday, and if they do, I also encourage them to have a friend or family member who is backup if they change their mind about being alone and need to talk. Likewise, if you plan to gather with others, let them know ahead of time if you might need to leave or take breaks. It's hard to know in advance what we'll need on the actual day, and if, you, you spend, if those you spend the holidays with share in your loss, it may take you to name it and ask for recognition of the loss. As I noted earlier, setting a candle at the loved one's picture, having a time at a meal or after to share memories, preparing a dish that the loved one enjoyed, and acknowledging that together. Communicating in advance provides ways to avoid misunderstandings or feelings of, like I said earlier, that walking on eggshells that so often leave the bereaved feeling worse and more isolated.
0: Yeah, and, you know, working in the emergency room, I have a lot of teens who come in and they're suicidal. And the reason they got there is because they texted a friend and the friend mm-hmm. called someone. And yeah. that that friend was a lifesaver, literally.
1: So Absolutely. We're well, the National Lifeline has both chat t- and text op- opportunities as well.
0: That's good. What a great resource. So I'm going to change the topic here a little bit because I know that you are what is called an Acceptance and Commitment Therapy Provider. And this is sort of a new therapy, at least where I work, that is taking over. And my patients just love this. Would you tell us a little bit
1: about this? Sure. Now, in a nutshell, ACT is about getting out of our minds and into our lives. It's a behavioral therapy. And it's about taking action, but not just uh, any old action, but instead values-driven actions. What really matters deep in our heart? What do we want to stand for in life? Identifying and understanding our core values and utilizing the values to guide, motivate, and inspire behavioral changes through mindful actions can lead to a rich life of vitality and purpose, even when inevitably in human life. We have events and experiences that will create suffering and disappointment.
0: Well, is there any tool, I I guess we call this therapy ACT, A-C-T. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Is there any tool that ACT offers that might be helpful to our listeners during the holidays?
1: Absolutely. I'd like to kind of quickly outline a few concepts here about ACT uh, that I think would be helpful and apply them directly to our discussion today. Mindfulness. Or mindful awareness is this process involving openness, curiosity and responsiveness rather than reactivity. If I'm able to contact the present moment awareness of my experience, I can be more aware of what I'm feeling and what thoughts may be weighing on me. And when I'm aware of those things, I can choose my behavior and I'll give you an an example. Let's take anger. I can have the feeling I'm angry. I can have the thought that my loved one's death made me angry and I can feel the sensation of wanting to lash out at someone because of that anger. Yet, I can choose the kind of person I want to be no matter how I feel, which generally is someone who doesn't yell or hit, and when they are angry, seeks to express that effectively and respectively as well as clearly. Emotions run high during grief, and oftentimes we feel particularly raw and vulnerable. Being mindful of our emotional state, our areas of sensitivity, can actually allow us to choose how we express our feelings and needs in healthy ways. The next concept I wanted to touch on is willingness, which is a key component of ACT, and applying it specifically to our discussion today is the recognition that grief will be your companion, and instead of denying, avoiding, or trying to change it, be willing to let it be where it already is, here and now, every day which often frees up the energy and angst that goes into avoidance and other strategies that take us away from being present to our life. Being willing, accepting that we're having our feelings and our experiences, I want to reassure you, doesn't mean we like them or we're okay with them. It means dropping the struggle, kind of like the proverbial tug-of-war. Drop the rope with trying to control, hide, or avoid this healthy response to loss. And see how much that frees you up to focus on things that bring peace and even some joy into your life. Grief remains your companion, but it's not the sole lens through which you see and engage with your daily life. There are so many things I could say about ACT, and I'll touch on just a couple more quickly because I know we're short on time. You know, as humans, we're prone to get hooked on our thoughts and feelings and memories. So someone who's experiencing divorce might be hooked on the thought that no one will ever love them again or that somehow... They're flawed or unlovable because the relationship ended. When we get hooked or fused on such thoughts, we create kind of an excessive suffering to the very real pain of the end of the relationship. Imagine I'm hooked on the thought that I'm unlovable. My interpersonal actions are going to be affected by that. I might even start avoiding people who are important to me and who might actually contradict that thought. I can be mindful that when that thought arises, but not invest so much in believing it or letting it guide my actions. Sometimes people in grief find it unimaginable that they'll ever experience joy again. Getting fused with this fearful thought can wreak such emotional havoc at a time when we need to be kind, have trust that grief will soften over time and open us to new opportunities. In ACT, we call this the work of diffusion, and it involves being able to watch our thinking without getting tangled up in the thoughts that lead us away from here and now and tend to spiral up. Spiral us into greater misery, self-judgment, and behaviors that undermine our lives.
0: Wow! I don't so know the
1: list. So I'm going to
0: interrupt you, Judy because I'm yeah. running out of time, and I just want to say thank you so much for being on the program. And so, listeners, let's put Judy Hampshire's insights and suggestions in place this holiday season. Each of us can give ourselves the gift of taking care of ourselves during our end of the year season, and we some of Judy's suggestions and insights into your life. And again, thank you so much, Judy, for being such a fabulous guest with all the information you shared. You've given each and every listener a wonderful holiday gift, and maybe you even saved a life. Until next week, remember, you have the power to create your world the way you want it to be.
2: One more time, and I'm going to interrupt for just a second and say that we will be replaying this show a very a number of times, uh, and we'll try to post that on our Facebook page because I think it's very, very important to a lot of folks that are struggling in various ways, and this is always a tough time of the year for folks, and uh, I think this show is, is vitally important, and uh, we're going to play it over and over again as many times as we can.
0: That's great. And again, Judy, it's been an honor to have you on.
1: It's been a real pleasure. I wish you and your listeners all the best.